was overarching brand. And this show is really inspired by my interview with the one and the only Seth Golden. And I literally got what is school for from Seth Golden's mouth. So I just feel like every time I just feel like I need to give him a shout out. So on this show, we interview leading educators, parents, students, entrepreneurs, startup founders, business owners. They come here and we discuss, debate, and disrupt education. The goal is to really future-proof our children, right? Don't we all want our children to have a better life than us? And today we are talking about something that is highly relevant, highly timely, given what is happening right now. And we are talking about how to raise holistic and emotionally balanced children. And I have the best person to come here to talk about this and that is susan white uh like those of you uh, who don't know susan and uh, susan and i we actually connected through another friend maura smith and who is a facebook as facebook queen and so really i honor that susan um uh, maura connected me and susan susan has spent more than three decades in the teaching education space and she has so many degrees and certifications that i'm not going to embarrass myself from mispronouncing some of those wrong names but she is definitely well certified and well educated and uh, susan has helped so many children of different ages to achieve that holistic well-being, well-nurtured level, and helping parents to help their children. And uh, I had the great honors um, before the interview. Susan shared with me three ebooks, and I read them. I learned so much, and I can see how much you know about this subject, how to raise holistic children. And I can't wait to learn more about this topic and apply some of the the tips, hands-on activities that you and I, you know, everyone joining us live right now, we can apply to our parenting right away to help our children become more holistic and more emotionally balanced. So really honored to have you, Susan, on the show. Thank you so much for joining us live. And by the way, everyone, uh, oh, Tina is here. And we are live on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Periscope, and on YouTube. So if you are live with us right now, uh, let me know uh, in the comment section where you are joining us live from, social media-wise and geographically speaking. I just love my global community. And Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you, I. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. and. Like you said, when we first connected through Mari Smith, the queen of Facebook, I just felt so connected to you right away. And I think our our ideas and our philosophies really align and supporting children to be really connected to who they are as human beings, creative, and being these children who are able to be innovative and come up with their own ideas and have this wellness about them that allows them to be very stable and very comfortable with who they are as human beings. Oh, I just love it. I just love it. And so you have spent more than three decades, you know, on this path, being a teacher, learning, teaching, implementing, doing this and that, transforming children's lives. I want to ask you what inspired you to be on this journey, to become a teacher and to really help others, you know, focusing on raising holistic children. I think from a young age, I was always drawn to being uh, around children. I have two brothers and a sister, so that being around my siblings, and I think I have 52 or four first cousins, and we spent a lot of time together. And so I was just always around younger children, and that really inspired me. I also grew up in a family that was really connected. And my mom and my dad really instilled in us that we truly are our six best friends. And when they say six, they include your, ourselves in that. And my mom and dad really taught us that we are our own best friend and we are our own um, most and important person. And that through our um, family connection and through our you know, extended family and our friendships, 
we can connect with one another through each other. And I think my parents really instilled that whole idea about building relationships. And I mm -hmm. saw a direct connection to that in education. And I always, you know, played school with my brothers and my sister. We were always doing things together through play. And I think that whole being raised in a family where we were really connected with each other made a difference. And then as I grew up, um, just recognizing that I was continuously drawn to working alongside children mm -hmm. and working in ways that allowed them to shine and ways that brought out their brilliance and brought out what's unique about them. And so just love that piece. I, I really love it. Actually, yesterday I did a webinar on this. I, I think as parents, especially right now, everyone's doing homeschooling. Mm -hmm. Like we just feel so pressured to teach our children everything. And first of all, we don't know everything. I, I think as teachers, we are like activators, we are facilitators. We are here to activate what is within our children and to, to protect their creativity. You know, you and I, we had this conversation about a study. You know, young children, they are so creative. I mentioned this on another show, a paperclip study. Like three, four years old, they scored like a genius level. By the time they become older, you know, decrease to 50%, 2% by the time they are adults like us. So I think what you mentioned is so right. You know, we just need to preserve that, you know, playfulness and um, innocence and creativity and curiosity. So very, very interesting. By the way, we have someone from Germany. Quite a few, a few dozen people are here. Thank you so much, everyone. Hi, Germany. Ah, Germany and uh, Australia. Wow. Yeah, I am going to. And oh, hey, Alice, thank you, Lily. Thank you so much, everyone. Yeah. So share with us, you know, like, I want to start, I want people to get to know your approach a little bit more. And like, even when I was, you know, drafting my questions, I still had this assumption when we think about nurture and uh, nurture and nature. So most people tend to think them as two opposites, right? Even like in traditional textbooks, you see a uh, nurture versus nature. And there are debates on this, articles written about this, but you seem to take a very different approach on nature and nurture. So like explain to us how do you what's your perspective on nature and nurture and what does this mean to you mm -hmm. i think that the way that we nurture children really connects to who we are as human beings and our nature as human beings and so when we think about nurturing children that whole idea around bringing out their very best qualities, mm -hmm. connecting to their human spirit, connecting to who they are as human beings, and connecting as interconnected individuals. So when we think about raising children, we're thinking about raising them in relation, in relationship with and to others. And so that whole idea about nature, we're naturally, we're innately drawn to one another. We're innately drawn to um, being connected. And so I wrote a book um, that is a free download if anyone's interested. And it is just about the nature of nurture and how we are naturally drawn as adults and as young people to nurture one another. And so how we do that is just a really natural process of connecting ourselves as human beings. Oh, wow. So profound, you know, connecting with each other as human beings. It is something that we were born with, but as we grow older, we sadly and unfortunately we lost that. So before we dive into some specific practices, I remember when I was reading some of your ebooks, and you you made a point saying that you were talking about some of the fundamental flaws of the traditional paradigms of teaching and learning. So I want you to share that with us. What do you think? is wrong with the traditional paradigm of teaching and learning and how is your approach and different from the traditional paradigm? I think that when we get children together and we feel, you know, we're, it's our job to teach them, mm -hmm. I think we stand in a place sometimes of giver of knowledge mm -hmm. rather than being co-learners and co-creators of new knowledge and new ideas. And I think one of the things that is very um, interesting to look at is when we um, take a look at how 
how we stand with children. Are we standing with them, alongside them, or are we standing in front of them? And so you mentioned it earlier, I, with the whole idea of being facilitators and activators. We want to give children the environment. We want to give children the opportunity. We want to give children the um, whole idea, uh, the whole experience of mm -hmm. being able to come up with their own ideas, being self-agents of their own learning, mm -hmm. self-agents and driven by their own meaningful connections to things that come across their way in life. If there's something that piques their curiosity, we need to go with that curious investigative approach that allows us to support and facilitate children in coming up with an understanding around what it is that's inspiring them or drawing their attention. And I think when we think about being co-constructors of learning together, we're actually standing in a place where we're asking authentic questions. Mm -hmm. We're asking questions of true um, curiosity where we're looking to find an answer. We're not just asking a question to pose it so that we check for understanding if the children actually know what we think they should know. I think it goes far beyond that. I think it goes to this place where we can um, instill in children this sense that we're in this together. Mm. And so when you say, what does it look like? How is it different? Um, I always challenge this notion of how do we set up a classroom? I work in an early years classroom. And are we setting up our classroom in rows of desks and disconnected individual spaces? Or do we have spaces of community where children can come together and create together and learn together, bounce ideas off of one another, um, play together? Uh, Duncan Wardle was here just a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about this whole idea of um, get out of your own river of thinking. Well, are we allowing children to get out of their own river of thinking by encountering one another, encountering their peers, encountering other educators, other parents, and encountering other sources of knowledge or information or questions? And so when we, I love this, this idea that Duncan proposed, get out of your own river of thinking, because it really challenges us as the parent or the educator to change our own perspective and get down with children and listen to what they're proposing. What is their theory? What are their hypotheses? And I think when we come at that from a new standpoint, we really change the paradigm of education. And we're certainly not the teacher standing at the front of the room saying, thou shall know this, or the parent now you know, launched into a homeschooling experience saying, you should know this, and this is really important. We don't want to give knowledge. We want to nurture this opportunity for children to explore new ideas and new new frontiers of learning. Wow, like so many great points and music to my ears, for sure. You know, as uh, you work in the early childhood, I work in higher education for quite a few years. And uh, like, I so believe that the sage on the stage model is so broken. You know, I, I just love how you were talking about space. I remember for my master's thesis, I was actually talking about how space facilitates certain types of communication or lifestyle or culture power relationship and when you dis uh, like displace that space spatial arrangement and you introduce a new type of way of thinking and living and communication so i really love that so how do you think we should arrange space in a way that we are now we are kind of introducing co-creators and co-learners, not this, hey, listen to me, I'm the teacher when I look at most schools. That's how everything's arranged, you know, the teacher in the front and, and uh, uh, rows of like chairs and tables, everything's perfectly arranged, so neat, perfect, in, in perfect order and uh, so structured. So how do you think, I don't like that at all, for sure. So I resonate with you. So how do you think, what is a better way to arrange space in a way that is conducive to learning? And if you're at home and you're creating a home 
learning space or you are in your classroom space or your non-traditional classroom space, perhaps you work in a forest school, perhaps you work in a, a Waldorf or a Montessori or, you know, it, you could be in a publicly funded educational space. I think there's so many things that are in our power to adjust, to change, mm -hmm. just make little changes. And one of the things I always say is create a space that welcomes community. And when I say community, whoever is in your immediate community, it can be immediate family, it can be um, you and your child, it can be family members outside of that, grandparents, welcome people into your space, experts around you. I know you do a lot of this, I, in your own programming, but bringing people together in a space and creating a beautiful space. Aesthetically pleasing spaces are very important. Change the lights, put dim lights around. What about mm -hmm. lights? Do you need these fluorescent lights beaming down on us in the classroom? Mm -hmm. I know in my space, I never have those lights on and the light from the outdoors and creating atel an atelier, a an art studio. And when we think about an art studio, what do we think of? We think of materials. We think of having readily accessible things that we might need when the spirit moves us, when we feel like, oh, I have an idea. Create an innovator space, create a uh, creator's space, whatever you want to call it. Have materials in your space that allow your children to be agents of their own thinking and learning mm -hmm. so that when they have an idea, you're not the person dolling out the materials, but you've helped them to understand how to be respectful of their use of materials, to honor a material, to recognize the affordances, the limitations, the uh, possibilities of materials. When we offer children rich environments that have mm -hmm. the materials they might need, that they could use, these can be recycled materials. It's amazing what children can do with a whole bunch of lids from water bottles and some old loose paper and cardboard and some glue and paint and uh, charcoal. Offering those children those artistic materials gives them an opportunity to start thinking, what could I do to solve this problem that I'm facing? What could I create? Oh, I want to be a designer and build something. Oh, I was over in my block space in my home studio, my home learning environment, and I built a structure. And now I want to duplicate that into a mini version like an architect would or a, a city planner would. We need to give children experiences and expose them to these ideas that Play is a form of sharing your thinking. Play is a form of learning, mm -hmm. creating new ideas, building something, um, painting something. These are ways of expression. And when we express ourselves as human beings, we really truly do become more connected to ourselves and more connected to everyone else around us because we're thinking about what our audience would be interested in knowing about. And our audience meaning our friends, our families, our communities. Perhaps it's a virtual community. Mm. Give your children opportunities to have their own learning space. Set it up together. Find a space that's full of light that can become the home learning space, that mm. can become, you know, in your classroom, various different locations for creation and for coming together to talk, to share, you know, the way you set your space with in terms of table and directionality of where people are facing. We think about companies, they spend time. How are we connecting our people? When you think about innovative companies that you, I know I, you work with lots of innovative companies. These companies are looking at how do we bring people together? Because when we bring people together, that's where the innovation happens. Mm -hmm. And when we think about innovation, we think about new ideas. We think about diversity. Mm -hmm. uh, Wardle talked about diversity is innovation. Mm -hmm. How do we bring new things to our children to be co-constructors and co-innovators alongside one another, alongside of us? And when we create that environment, the magic happens.
Oh my god, I love everything you mentioned. It is so hard for me to not interrupt you because I was like, I want to say something. It is so good because everything you mentioned resonated so much with me. And those of you,、uh, if this is the first time you hear like Duncan Wardle, and he's the former、uh, VP of Innovation and Creativity at Disney. I interviewed him a few weeks ago. Parents, they all loved watching that episode. I highly recommend you check it out. And you also talk about Susan, you know, playfulness, and that's also what Duncan Wardle mentioned, you know. But now, as I'm listening, standing here listening to you talk, it is so interesting. Our children, they have everything. They have creativity. They have curiosity. They have playfulness. But something happened as they grow older, and they lost all of that. So I feel like almost in a way, what we are doing right now is to go back to that early stage as a baby, as like two years old. You know, being so curious about everything, asking very important questions like, "Why is this? Why is that?" You know, we kind of stopped asking、mm-hmm. those questions. So I, I really, really love that. And in that, from that perspective. We have so much to learn from the younger children, how they explore, you know, how they interact with the universe. So I just really、uh, love that, and I also love how you mentioned, you know, lighting. You know, like we need to use softer light. I can feel the difference. You know, when I go to Walmart and or when I go to McDonald, their lighting is so sharp. You just don't feel really. I mean, it's a fast food, right? You don't want to. You don't feel so comfortable staying there for a few hours. Just feel like a headache. You just need to get out of that environment. And when you think about our traditional school environment, they all use that type of lighting, which is like it just occurred to me. Like no, no wonder our students just feel like so agitated, so stressed after after sitting in the classroom. For a few hours, you know, back to back classes. Yeah, I, I it's not designed to teach to learn. And I think too, when we think about what does our home look like, where do we want to go when we finish our day? We want to go home. Why do we want to go home? Because we have beautiful flowers, we have beautiful decorations, we have beautiful artwork. These are things that we collect, we covet, we honor, we place in places of importance in our home. We need to do this in our own learning space. And when we're thinking about creating a home learning space, the art that children create is art. Mm-hmm. It really, truly is an expression of who they are as human beings, and I often say when I look at the art of the children in my own classroom space that I need to frame this, and I do. I need to put this on a place of importance. I need to talk with that child and hear their thinking around that piece of art, and document the art just like we would a sculptor is, just like we would an artist. Those people are highly honored as creators and innovators in their own way, and we often see a little plaque underneath someone's art or their sculpture or their pottery. And wait a second,、mm. this is life. Let's do this with children.、Mm. Let's bring to children a sense and place of honor、mm. that puts them in a place where they realize, hey. I'm a contributor to the world.、Mm-hmm. I have important things to say. I have important ideas, and people want to hear them. And that is how we continue to inspire children.、Mm. When you say I that children lose their、um, interest in school year by year by year, they sure do. And what happens in school year by year by year? We start giving them more paper pencil. We start giving them worksheets. We、mm-hmm. start giving them things that. Um, don't connect with them. They're just a regurgitation or a formulaic stance of how we need to share our thinking. Why not give them a real life problem? Why not ask them what do you want to do to change the world and build? Find the learning living in that experience because mathematically there is so much happening in a life experience. Literate. Wise, there is so much going on. There is so much we can do in terms of building these skills: science, social studies, whatever it is that we feel we need to give children an experience with. We can do that through their own natural, authentic inquiries and curiosity.、Mm-hmm. 
we need to put ourselves in a place of finding the learning, living in their play. Find the okay. learning, living in their thinking. Find the learning, living in their art. Put out materials that are very rich. Put out clay. Yes, start them with Play-Doh. But go buy a piece of clay and let them discover the affordances of clay and how that can be something that can represent another pathway of thinking, another communication. Yeah, I love this. Oh, express themselves that way. It, yeah. It's just a, you know, you want to have an inquiry, you want to investigate, they're curious about a flower, they're curious about a bumblebee, they're curious about, you know, anything in their environment, let them explore that, let them become enriched in it, not, not simply giving them books or a link on the internet to give them the information they need, but actually go into the world and investigate that place in nature where that living creature is mm -hmm. and nurture a love and a respect for nature, for example. All of these things, when we think about your original question, I, about creating environments, our environment doesn't have to be in the space that we are designated to go to for our school. In my school, I have to go to school every day and I have to meet with my children but let's venture out into the world. And you do that so well with your um, teaching beyond walls and bringing children to the world. So we may not be able to hop on a plane and go to another place in the world, but we certainly can visit space and place in our community, in our immediate backyards, in our parks, yeah. all of these things. So, you know, connecting with people so outside of our community, within our community, outside of our immediate space is huge. So true. I, amen. Like, I think many people, when we think about education, there's one place for education, that is go to a school, which really uh, like uh, reminds me of this point from Phil. Thank you for joining us live. And he was commenting on what you mentioned earlier, uh, the stage on the stage model, you know, and he said that, and he said it so well, that we rely so much on our schools to teach our children. And almost we rely, uh, rely on the school to raise our children and teach them the things that we don't want to teach them at home. This is so true. And also frequently I hear, you know, why when, when my children were still going to school, I will hear from parents and parents often say that, hey, listen to the teacher. What did the teacher say? Listen to the teacher. I think as we do that more and more often, we are really removing our children's agency with just like being obedient and listen to the teacher. And some other questions I ask, my children, like, what is something that the teacher mentioned today that you think is right and why? And what is something the teacher mentioned today that is incorrect and why? I think we need to, you know, what you mentioned, don't always listen to the teacher. You are a teacher. I'm a teacher. We know we're humans. We make so many mistakes. We don't know everything. Like, I think people need to understand that, not outsource their yeah. children's education to a school, to a teacher. And I think if your children are in a school and they are in a place where there is a teacher, designated teacher, I think it's important for, for teachers, for educators to create a culture of thinking, to create a culture of uh, respectful dialogue. I traveled to Italy to study the Reggio Emilia approach to education, and they have this saying that they talk about confronto, and when we think about confronto, we might think of confrontation. And when in fact, that's not the idea. The idea is that we are confronting an idea and we're challenging it from different angles and we're looking at it from new places. And when we empower and when we invite children to ask questions and say, wait, miss, you know, there's something there that you said and I think this, it's different than what you think. Like Duncan Wardle said again, I just love him. Diversity is innovation. And when we invite children to share their diverse ideas, their unique perspectives, it often opens me up to a whole new idea Amen. that I didn't even consider. Amen. And that's really a very important reason I came to the U.S., uh, two decades, uh, two decades ago to become an immigrant because I love the diversity here, you know, and uh, you, you need that to challenge your own assumptions. And, uh, yeah. my husband is also from different countries. So we frequently 
like challenge our own children. I use my Eastern perspective. He uses his Western perspective. And I think that's the best gift we can give to our children, you know, have a multiple perspective. So I saw a great diversity is very important. And I really want to make sure that we spend some time talking about kind of the foundation of your work. Everyone is loving that what you mentioned. I don't know if you say that. No, I can't see anything. And I think there is uh, uh, Pam said something really, really sweet. She just loves you. I think she. Oh, thank you, Pam. She, yeah, yeah. She wants to. She's connected with you already. So you have these seven pillars of well nurtured children. And so first, I kind of want to ask you when you are talking about holistic and well nurtured children and human beings, how does that manifest? So what are some specific qualities that we're talking about here? So we actually understand what you mean by holistic and well nurtured beings. And then we're going to talk about the seven pillars, which is really, really good. Everyone, you should like take notes. Yeah. Well, I think as human beings, we need to think about how we raise individuals as human beings, whole, whole beings. What makes us whole? Not just what's here in our brain, but it's what's here in our heart. It's what's in our spirit. It's our body. It's everything. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about our holistic selves, who do we want to be? What is our purpose on this earth? What is the meaning for our life? We were placed here for a reason. Every one of us has a reason for being on this earth. And I think if we think in terms of what it is we bring to the world, what is our stewardship to the world, to humanity, when we think about our stewardship to humanity, what does that mean? I think when we define ourselves as holistic, we go outside of ourselves, we become less individualistic, and we become more connected as a human species, as a human group, as a human community. And when we do that, I think that one of the biggest things we do is we change our trajectory for the future. Mm. We create a place of hope where we come together and we consider the ideas of one another. And when we think about this whole notion of nurtured inspirations, where did that name come from? Mm. Well, I wanted to nurture, create a place of nurture where we nurture ourselves, where we nurture the inspiration of who we are as human beings, and where we nurture this whole notion of how do we inspire one another? What do we bring to this planet? And what can we share of ourselves? And mm -hmm. I think with that whole idea, we are whole beings. We are, we are connected holistically. So that's not just as an individual but mm -hmm. as a community of beings. Well, I love this. And I assume that what you just mentioned can be applied to children, like young children and also older children, Everyone. maybe even like people like us, you know, older people. I love it. And so talk about the seven pillars and uh, explain to us what they mean. And maybe also give us some really hands-on like questions we should ask to mm -hmm. facilitate that or some examples exercises that we can do at home because most people join us live they probably don't have an educational background like i'm also not familiar with this i would love to learn some like exercises that i can do at home with my own children to really cultivate those seven pillars to become holistic and emotionally resilient oh i just love it yeah so share with us the seven pillars and you don't need to be an educator a trained i agree yeah. i think that what you bring as a human being, as a person with, in relation with other people is perfect. It's enough, it's, it's more than enough. And I think if we change our stance that teachers are the being, the, the givers of knowledge, the, the no, 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 no. We are all teachers in our own way. And I always say this, Children are my teachers. Children are my best teachers. I think I learn more from children than I do sometimes from adults. And I think this is really important that we remember that. And so when I was creating the seven uh, pillars of, of um, holistic and well-nurtured children, I thought about creating the seven pillars of holistic and well-nurtured human beings. And 
all of this applies to both. It applies to you no matter what age you are. And this is what I love about it. And I decided to focus on children because that is where I stand in my daily endeavors. And it's where we create the foundation. We create the foundation for who we are as human beings. So when we think about the seven pillars, we think about all of those pieces that make us whole. And these seven are just the start of so many more things. But when we think about them, we think about being emotionally well-nurtured mm -hmm. and socially well-nurtured. We think about the physical, mm -hmm. the intellectual, the moral, the spiritual, and the nature aesthetic. All of these things make us who we are as human beings. And there's a whole other layer of elements that come into play. But mm -hmm. when we think about that, those seven pillars, if we nurture them well, we create the foundations for a really well-balanced, emotionally uh, balanced and connected. And um, I want to mm -hmm. say... Um, really flourishing human being and mm. that's what our aim is to do yeah yeah and before i i really want you to give us some like questions that we can ask some specific examples i just want to share share this uh comment from pam you know like i saw a great schools are really part of the like schools are run as an institution everything is so institutionalized and from a teacher's perspective i can see why because we want especially higher education our classes are big like 200 students 300 students we want everything to be under control, right? And so I, it, it's not designed to nurture children for sure. I, I so agree. And uh, I, um, I, you kind of answer your why a little bit, like what's your awakening? Like what brought you to this perspective? Kind of yeah. just quickly summarize a little bit well, and then we're going to go back to the seven pillars again. Yeah. So one of the things that um, throughout my career, I've worked in all kinds of eight with all kinds of age groups and, um, always working to really instill, almost take what my family gave me as a young child, you know, growing up with family meetings, growing up with conversation and dialogue and reflection mm -hmm. about how we are together as a unit. I wanted to bring that to the classroom. And I want to challenge educators who are in traditional classrooms to start to think about, and I know many people do, bring this new way of of thinking to a classroom, to a learning space, and bring it to our families. But that whole inspiration came from being with children who were in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, um, third grade, all the grades that I taught, first and second, and now with the early years, sitting down and listening, the pedagogy of listening. Oh, I love that. About through Regomelia, that is influenced by the work of Loris Malaguzzi and Carlina Rinaldi and all of these wonderful, amazing Italian educators that brought this whole philosophy. But that resonated with me because that spoke my language. I felt like when I was in a classroom, I was down on the floor with them. I was listening to them. How are we designing this next project? What do you want to know about? And I think if we bring this piece back to ourselves and really question ourselves as educators and say, okay, that standardized test, maybe it's part of the day, maybe it's a part of our year, maybe we have to deal with it. But how can we extend this border so that we are nurturing what Sir Ken Robinson talks about, which is this whole intellectual connection to mm -hmm. going beyond standardized, going beyond the institutional um, industrialization oh. of education and really expanding into creativity, really expanding into all these wonderful um, ideas around being innovators and thinkers. And so I was inspired when I would sit with children and I would listen to them and I would talk to them about what was important. Mm -hmm. And I would say, what, what is it that you want to investigate and how do you want to show that 
you know, giving them a paper and a pencil, most of them were saying, I don't want to do that all day, every day, 24 seven, every day of my life for the next eternity. I yeah. want creative opportunities. And so by doing that, I was inspired by the children's need to honor their innate sense of expression. Mm -hmm. And talk about the hundred languages in Regomelia. And you may call it something else. You may call it listening to the inner voice of children and hearing their ways of communication. I think this is so critical. And when you ask where did that influence come from, I go back to the children are my teacher's eye and I listen to them. And when we listen to children, we create this sense of, possibility that exists in our classroom and in our home. And mm -hmm. so as parents, when children come home, if your children go to traditional school, what can you do in the home to nurture this holistic love for life and learning? Oh, I, uh, you know, love for life and for learning. Oh, man, you, you almost make me cry right now because like you really touch my heart. I, I say this because one reason, those of you who don't know my story, I taught in higher education for 10 plus years. And one reason I resigned from my teaching position was seeing how disengaged our students were. There, there was definitely no love for learning. They even don't have love for themselves. They don't love who they are. They, 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 they are just, their mental state is very off. And that really hurts me a lot as a teacher, seeing that you know, this entire model is not working. And the question I got asked a lot by my student was, hey, Dr. I, will this be on the exam? So I heard it so much, I completely eliminated exams in all of my classes. And then I started to hear, will I lose a point or will I gain a point if I do this or not do this? So that has become learning. And it is so, so, so sad to, to, to see that I don't even know how many times I cried. Like it was really sad. So just hearing you sharing this new paradigm, this new, you know, the pedagogy of listening. Oh my God, that is so powerful. I think not just students, but teachers, like human beings who we are as professionals, we should all apply this, the mm -hmm. pedagogy of listening. If yeah. we can all listen more, oh my God, that and is that is terminology that I learned through the Reggio Emilia approach. And their approach really is child-centered and really looking at how as a community, children and educators come together. And this, when I first learned of the Reggio experience, it really is a universal language for what resonated for me and I think for many others. And that's why we're all gathered here today because we're really questioning what does it look like in our world? Mm -hmm. And how do we honor children's voices in different ways? How do we bring to the community all these amazing ideas and thinking that children have and that children consider? And you know, I, when you say children were asking or students were asking you, older children, um, adults were asking you, will I lose a point for this? I think really starting to reshape um, even how we evaluate and assess. Oh, 100%. That, that I am not the final assessor and de determiner of all things wonderful. Oh, Let's talk about why it's wonderful as a group and a community. Let's hear from everyone. How did that project impact you as a human being? I want to know that as a creator. Mm -hmm. I want children to know that as a creator. That is how we assess if 100%. our projects are powerful or meaningful or important and how they impacted other people. So when we think of ourselves as stewards to the earth, stewards to the planet, stewards to humanity, when we give children meaningful opportunities to create what comes from them, we yeah, an opportunity to become um, their own. They have they generate their own assessment criteria, if you want to call oh. it that, which isn't what it is in my thought. But if we want to go with that traditional paradigm, let's flip it on its tail and let's say, well, what do you think about it, young child? What is your take on how your work impacted other people? Because isn't that what we do? We're here today, you and I, I, we're here to 
impact other people. We're certainly looking for feedback from other people to say, how did we do? We don't have a teacher behind us going, that was really great. And I think you should do this, this and this next time. We are self-assessing. We are becoming our, we are our own uh, generators of evaluation. We do that naturally as human beings. We reflect on ourselves to become better. So we need to bring this to everyone, to children and honor the work that each other does. So true. I, I think the system really needs some some disruption. Like the amount of paperwork that we do, at least in the higher education space as teachers, for this evaluation, that evaluation, I feel like most of the things we do is to perpetuate the system. It's not to really serve the students. And I just love how much like what you mentioned gives children so much trust and autonomy, which is so important. It reminds me of an article I read the other day and talking about, so this teacher shared that the hardest, uh, she's a writing professor. She said that the hardest assignment for her students, students is to do open writing because the students cannot even think openly. Like it's like free writing. They can't do free writing. No, you have to give me some structure. You have to give me yeah. some like boxes, some like samples, this and that. I experienced the same thing in my own teaching, you know, when it's so open because as you mentioned, we give them so many like rules and they lose that ability to think on their own behalf to engage in free flow, you know, I, this is important. Something that I um, offer through nurturedinspirations.com are, um, and you you can actually check it out at programs.nurturedinspirations.com and see all of the programs and something I offer for educators and parents, please join us. I really love when parents come into this conversation. It's Mm -hmm. how are we offering and generating and inviting children and creating the conditions to nurture this kind of being, this kind of paradigm of being as, as educated human beings beyond our traditional paradigm of education. And so when we think about the presenters that I have, the special guests that are coming and spending time with us and sharing their insights, it's to inspire you as parents, to inspire you as educators, to think outside of that traditional paradigm, that box that we tend to be in. And how do we invite and welcome this generative space, this generative So true, so true. I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, you know, like oftentimes, sometimes I find myself guilty because my children are pretty young, five and eight years old, and we tend to tell them, you need to do this, you need to do that. So are do you think that we should just like throw away the workbooks, just like just completely uh, embrace project, project-based learning based on our children's interests? I think you need to know your child and I think you need to know the context in which you are working. And if we go more toward a project-based way of being, I think it brings out that opportunity for us to nurture in children mm-hmm. the um, the expressive, creative, innovative beings that they are. The competency that children have the capabilities come through. And what it does, I, is it generates an excitement. I know for me, if I go to a course and I'm sitting there and I'm told I have to do this, I have to do this, and you have to do this, and they're all due by this date, in my brain, I say, oh, I'm in the wrong course here. When I go to places where it's very co-constructive, it's Mm -hmm. very project-based, I can jump in on a project. Even when I go to my place of work, if I'm working with someone and it's a project that we have ongoing, whether it's a virtual partnership that I have, I have lots of those, um, you know, or an in-person partnership. When projects are exciting and they are real and they are connected to who we are as human beings every day through our everyday experiences in life, that's when we generate this love for learning. So, yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. We we kind of discover that, and uh, I think that's the beauty of homeschooling. Like you are not like you don't have to follow like teachers. You, there's no you don't have to be confined to a specific school's approach. So we kind of we started with the workbook with our younger children, and then 
They seem、mm-hmm. to be so bored. We can completely throw that away and started to do what you mentioned. You know what do you want to do? And really get to know, nurture the children, ask them to really understand them, how they prefer to learn, and like has has really made a big difference. Yeah, yeah. You know, I there are certain people who are in traditional settings, and they will say to me, "Well, I have to. I have to do it this way. I'm asked to do this because that's my curriculum." Of course,、mm-hmm. you need to honor what's. Expected of you in your role as an educator. We're not, you know, I'm not suggesting by any means to go and throw it all out the window. And I'm not following this. But、yeah. find ways to be creative. Find ways to innovate. Find ways to open those doors to possibilities. Because I work in that context. Yeah, I know that it's doable. So these are all things that offer us hope. Hope for a better kind of thinking, a better kind of world. What are we putting out into the world? Because guess what? These little children that we are nurturing right now are going to be our decision makers in the future. And how do we want them to make decisions for us? Totally, totally. I I so agree. So, can you share some like examples, some like really good questions that are thought provoking and also kind of really help nurture our children? Because I feel it is important. I believe this process of learning, unlearning, and relearning. Like many of us, we kind of come from like a broken background, the way that we were taught from our parents and from the school teachers. I feel like we need to almost embrace a new language when we. Are embracing this new paradigm that you are talking about. So, like, what are some? Can you give us some examples of like questions or flow of conversations? Certain words that we can use to at least get us started to familiarize ourselves with this new language. Yeah, of course. And I think one of the things I want to say is it is far more simpler than anyone probably thinks it is, and it starts with asking a question. And then standing back and actually listening,、mm-hmm. and listening without、so、trying to respond, and listening longer than you think you could, and longer than you think you ever would, because often in silence there are moments of generative ideas that bubble up that children are thinking about. And I think sometimes when we ask questions, we feel the need to fill a space. Mm-hmm. And when someone appears to be done their thought, it's often that they're pausing for more thought and they're pausing to think about the next thing they want to say.、Mm-hmm. So、I'll start with that idea that when you ask a question, let there be silence after that question,、mm-hmm. because often you'll find that children will fill that silence with more,、oh, and that's a really great way to start. Another. Idea that I like to think about in my own questioning is really simple questioning. Why do you think that? And then stop and listen, because、mm. maybe your child hasn't ever thought about why are they thinking that. And so to give them time to think about what brought them to that, and to go a little bit more specific if they don't really know how to answer that, tell me what inspired you. And of course, you need to. Give some, you know, background on what inspiration is. Day <laughs> encounters with them, but what made you think of that? What inspired you? And when you stop and listen, what gave you that idea? Where did that come from? It tells us a lot about where children are, what they're noticing, what are they paying attention to. Because a lot of times when we ask these questions, we become better understanding of their. Place of being, of who they are as human beings. What are they noticing? I want to give you a really great example. So I had an art easel set up in the learning space in the atelier, and one of the children went to it and painting away using the different colors that were offered and really spending a lot of time there. And after he was finished his artistic. Creation and experience. I had been sort of watching it as I was doing lots of other things. I noticed he spent a lot of time there, 
And later when we had spoken about, we got together to talk about his art. And I, I asked him, tell me about your art. And I think asking that question in that way, instead of saying, what is that? Because yeah. some children are like, well, can't you tell what it is? I just drew that. Yeah. Tell me about your art. Tell me about your creation. Tell me about your painting. And what it looked like to me coming in, if I was closed and I was just looking at it, it looked like a bunch of splatter paint all over the page. And there were little lines and there were thinner lines and they were thicker lines and there were lots of dots all around the page. And when he explained it to me, it told me so much Aww. about this child. He Aww. said to me, these are the footprints of a potato bug. And I couldn't believe what he went on to say. He said, this potato bug traveled and it walked and he told me the whole pathway and what happened along the way. And as I listened, those splotches, those lines, those blobs that I thought were just splatter on first appearance, I knew there was more, but from first appearance, that's what could be understood. And he told me the story of the potato bug. I'll never forget that story. And another one, another really great example, a little girl was painting and she had painted swirls all over the page. And it was looked kind of messy at first glance. If you were just looking, someone might say, wow, what a blotchy paint mess. And I said to her, tell me about your art mm. and she said to me this is the dog and the dog is running all over and he just went in the mud and now he's tracked mud all over the place mm. and it was a big circle of and you could see the circles of the dog running around and she said the dog kept running in circles this was a, a retelling of an experience she had the little boy with the potato bug he used to spend hours sitting on the ground, looking at the ground. And I didn't always stop and talk to him about that. I thought he was collecting mm. little rocks. He was studying these little critters. And so wow. when we ask questions, when we stop and listen, when we offer children that opportunity to talk, it's so important. And one more question you can ask children that really tells you a lot is how did that make you feel? How are you feeling when you created this or how are you feeling right now? And why, why yeah. did you feel that way? It helps children connect to who they are. Totally. I, I love those questions. And also regular, you know, we're talking about self-awareness, self-regulation, and all those are very important skills that can carry them further. As I was promoting our interview, I actually did some research like EQ and soft skills that we call them soft. They are actually two times more predictive of a person's mm -hmm. long-term success than IQ. But when you think about it, most schools and parents to a certain extent that we focus so much on the IQ cultivation. And, but you know, we are kind of really talking about the tip of the iceberg. We are missing a big piece. So I really, really love that. I really want to respect everyone's time. I know like they think like everyone loves you, uh, Susan, and this comment from Pam, it's an amazing conversation. And I definitely learned a lot from you. So share with us, Thank I you. shared your Instagram. So uh, you mentioned earlier that you are also updating your website. I'm going to share uh, your website right now. So uh, so share, because oh, right now I'm actually using my husband's computer. I'm not really, as you yeah. can see, my lighting's not yeah. that good. So, so share with us the website. Yeah, yeah, the website nurturedinspirations.com right now is is um, being redone. I'm having that. I'm relaunching that in late spring, and fingers crossed, everything goes smoothly with that. So that will look completely different. The one that's there is is fine. It gives you a real sense of of what we stand for as a nurtured inspirations 
um, place of being and mm -hmm. you can find some of our programs there. I would encourage you to visit myprograms.nurturedinspirations.com to see all of our programs that are currently there. And then we're rolling out more and more each time and we'll be connecting with a whole bunch of new um, opportunities for learning and bringing some really great guests on and lots of opportunity for you to join us in our, um, we're creating a new Facebook group. So you're going to have an invitation for that. It's all to come. It's just the little, just the little start of things to come. So I'm so thrilled to share it with everyone. Yeah, this is great. I, I absolutely love this conversation. Everything resonated so much with me multiple times. I almost wanted to cry because I came from a totally different kind of STEM focused educational background growing up in China you know, competition, like math, exam, homework, that is very damaging. So if you are a parent right now, and I know in the US right now, there's a big push on STEM. So if that is thing you are focusing on for your children, I think you are doing like, at least from my personal experience, and from many, many, many children's experience in China, you are doing more damage to your children than the good intention that you have for them. But anyway, so that is uh, Susan's uh, website, as she mentioned earlier, she's updating that. So thank you so much again for a great conversation. My dear Susan, you are so amazing. Oh and thank God. you so much, everyone, for joining us live. And next, I couldn't really share my screen right now, but next Friday, I have uh, my dear friend, uh, Julia McCoy, and she is a school dropout, and she will come here. But now she's a seven-figure business owner, and uh, she's going to discuss with us whether or not college is a waste of time and money. So very interesting conversation, uh, controversial topic. So join us live next Friday, same time, same location. And uh, make sure you guys follow Susan on Instagram. And I will show you one more time. Yeah, where's the Instagram here? And Facebook is Nurtured Inspiration, so they can find me there too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, thank you so much, everyone, and uh, for an amazing conversation. And thank you again, Susan. Have Bye, a thank you. Weekend and stay safe, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye.